According to a national survey from 2017, marijuana use among U.S. adults more than doubled between 2001 and 2013. And with it, so did the use among mothers-to-be. Almost 4% of pregnant women reported that they used marijuana in the past month in 2014, compared with just 2% in 2002. More and more data is being published about the potential harms of marijuana use with adverse pregnancy outcomes. A study published in January 2020 out of the University of Iowa and the University of Minnesota published in the Journal of Perinatology found that children born to women who use marijuana during pregnancy were more likely to be of low birth weight. Specifically, they were more likely to be below the 10th percentile for gestational age. Additionally, these babies exposed to cannabis during pregnancy may be more likely to have abnormal developmental screening when they reach 12 months of age. As marijuana use continues to be more prevalent in the United States, we're seeing more and more data come to light about the potential ill effects of this medication on overall health, like the cannabis-induced hyperemesis syndrome. This can affect both men and women. But in pregnancy, it's even more tricky because pregnancy by itself can obviously trigger nausea and vomiting. And when that's added to the hyperemesis effects of chronic cannabis use, it becomes a difficult thing to manage. So in this podcast, we're going to focus on cannabis-induced hyperemesis syndrome. Yep, it's a real thing. And we actually had a patient not long ago admitted with this very condition. This patient required TPN and unfortunately suffered a 27-week fetal demise. It was just a bad outcome overall. So let's bring to light and call more attention to cannabis-induced hyperemesis syndrome now. Cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome was first described in 2004 and is a paradoxical cyclic vomiting syndrome that develops in susceptible individuals with a history of chronic cannabis abuse. The classic presentation includes severe nausea, intractable vomiting, abdominal pain, and abnormal bathing behaviors. Yeah, we'll get into that in just a minute. Compulsive bathing, often seen as showering in hot water for hours at a time and multiple times per day, appears to provide symptomatic relief and can be the key in identifying patients with this syndrome. But unless you're aware of that, you would never think to ask. The symptoms are episodic and resolution is seen when cannabis is stopped, but it can take about a week for that to occur. The prevalence of cannabis use in pregnancy is likely significantly underestimated as a result of variability in reporting and physician questioning. It is important for the OBGYN to consider the diagnosis of cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome in a patient with cyclic and refractory nausea and vomiting because failure to do so can result in expensive and futile investigations. Although physicians in gastroenterology and psychiatry are aware of cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome, some OBGYN physicians may not be aware of this condition. 
However, most OBGYNs, like most physicians, are aware that cannabis may have some antiemetic properties, so it may be a surprise to hear that chronic use can actually have a paradoxical effect. The characteristic features of cannabinoid hyperemesis include a history of heavy marijuana use, episodic nausea and vomiting that is unresponsive to antiemetics, the abdominal pain that we've already talked about, and this whole issue of compulsive bathing. Trust me, we'll give you a potential mechanism of action or pathophysiology of this repetitive bathing habit and why it occurs a little bit later in the podcast. Additional symptoms may include agitation, diaphoresis, tachycardia, postural hypotension, subjective fever and chills, and weight loss. The pathophysiology of cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome is not well understood, but there is some pretty good theories. Toxic levels are thought to result from marijuana's lipophilic properties and long half-life. Cannabinoid type 1 receptors found in the central nervous system are responsible for the antiemetic effects of cannabinoids. These receptors also are found in the gut and when stimulated result in delayed gastric emptying and peristalsis. So that's a clinical pearl. Prolonged chronic cannabinoid use can result in gastroparesis. At toxic levels, it is hypothesized that hyperemesis develops when the peripheral effects of the gut override the centrally mediated antiemetic effect. All right, I bet you're curious about this whole issue of repetitive bathing in hot water, right? Well, I was. Well, let's talk about that next. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is plush care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. The learned behavior of compulsive bathing is interesting and essentially pathognomonic for cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome. There are several proposed mechanisms that may explain this behavior. The psychoactive component of cannabis is hypothermic and hot water bathing may be a reaction to changes in core body temperature. Alternatively, the behavior might be resulting from direct activation of cannabinoid type 1 receptors near the thermoregulatory center of the hypothalamus. Others suggest that symptom relief is related to redistribution of blood flow from the gut to the skin. Patients with cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome usually have a history of several visits to the emergency department. The treatment for cannabinoid hyperemesis syndrome may require hospitalization for supportive care with fluid resuscitation and electrolyte replacement. The antiemetics used commonly in pregnancy like vitamin B6, ondansetron, promethazine, and metoclopramide typically do not relieve symptoms. Episodes usually last for 24 to 48 hours at a time and will recur if cannabinoid use is continued. That's why GI physicians promote cessation of cannabis, although we know how difficult that can be, but cessation of cannabis is the treatment of choice for cannabis-induced hyperemesis. 
Some patients cannot accept the idea that marijuana is actually causing their symptoms and they may in fact increase their use to treat their episodes, not knowing in fact that it's a vicious cycle making them worse. Alright, so let's stop here for a minute because hyperemesis gravidarium obviously happens and it happens quite commonly. However, in patients who are refractory to treatment, they're just not getting any better, remember to ask about their marijuana use or consider getting a urine toxicology screen to see if cannabinoids are found in their system because these patients will just not get better unless they stop the offending agent, which is the repetitive use of cannabis. Okay, let's come back and let's wrap this up, covering the triad presentation of this condition, which is the prodrome, the recurrent vomiting phase, and then the recovery. Again, the three phases of this condition are prodrome, recurrent vomiting, and recovery. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. The syndrome is characterized by a triad of chronic cannabis use, cyclic vomiting, and the compulsive hot bathing, but it actually presents in three phases, the prodrome, the recurrent vomiting phase, and then the recovery. As for the prodromal phase, this is variable in duration and manifests with nausea, fear of vomiting, and abdominal discomfort. For the vomiting phase, this is characterized by intense, persistent nausea and vomiting and retching that can occur up to five times per hour and is often described in patients as overwhelming. In addition, patients experience concomitant abdominal pain and a compulsive need to bathe in hot water. Patients typically visit hospitals numerous times throughout this phase, which can lead to escalating healthcare costs. Results of EGD, colonoscopy, radiological abdominal imaging, ultrasound, and further workup are generally unremarkable until you ask or get a urine toxicology screen or a blood screen about cannabis use and cannabis is detected. Then comes the recovery phase. The recovery phase begins with cannabis cessation. Within one week, patients will experience a substantial decrease in an eventual complete resolution of vomiting, but it takes the cessation of cannabis for that to occur. Symptoms are further alleviated within 24 to 48 hours after IV fluid administration. Despite reports of patients with this condition being refractory to supportive antimedic medications, remember that every patient is different and they're still worth a shot. But the take-home message is that these patients typically will not get completely better until they stop the offending agent. Cannabis hyperemesis syndrome, not unique to women or pregnancy as men can also have it, but it's much trickier in pregnancy because, of course, we're dealing with two patients in one body. In the case that we had where we admitted our patient with this condition, the patient ultimately required TPN because she would not stop doing cannabis. Nonetheless, after she came back with line sepsis, and after that was resolved, the patient eventually suffered an intrauterine fetal demise at around 27 weeks gestation. 
overall, this condition was terrible. So we're doing this podcast to bring attention to cannabis hyperemesis syndrome. So remember to ask, it's not just hyperemesis gravidarium. It can be this condition, but we have to look for it, be on the alert for it, and if necessary, do a urine toxicology or blood screen for it in order to better treat the patient. Thanks for being part of our podcast family, and we'll see you next time on another episode of Clinical Pearls.